Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. May May, breakfast is ready. Coming. It's gonna be May. Ah! Is everything okay? I'm a gross red monster. Don't look at me. Stay back. This happened already. What? Did you say? That's from Disney Pixar's animated film Turning Red about a lot of topics, including puberty. The film also tackles the topic of menstruation, still considered a taboo topic by some, but not as taboo as menopause. In fact, 95% of the therapeutic market is geared toward puberty and fertility and just 5% toward menopause. Coming up where we live, we talk about new scientific research about menopause, a transition period for women beginning in midlife and involving three stages. And later we learn about technology that can help give women the data to back up their experiences when talking to their doctor about symptoms and potential treatments. Now, do you have questions about menopause? You can join us too. You can share a comment on our Facebook page, or find us on Twitter at where we live. Now, three out of four women who seek help for menopausal symptoms don't receive it, according to the AARP. So what can help women have better access to information, treatment, and care? That's where a menopause doula comes in. Joining us now on Zoom is Natalie Bonifay, a menopause doula, and she's founder of Cafe Menopause, as well as a member of the North American Menopause Society. Natalie, welcome to our show. Good morning, Lucy. Good morning. Thank you. Now, many of our listeners have heard of doulas, but I described you as a menopause doula. So tell me about this role that you have taken on and when women are reaching out to you. Well, Lucy, uh, it's a little bit of a long story. It really started with um, being actually uh, reaching the, the glass ceiling in the company I was working um, with before in my mid to late uh, 40s, which coincided with the beginning of the, the, the menopause transition, um, which is the very beginning, in my case, of the perimenopause stage that we might want to talk later about. Um, and because it coincided with, with that stage, uh, I really had to work um, very hard to come out of the situation, that vacuum. Um, It was very different from what I had experienced before. It was very different from the puberty. Although it was very different from the 20s and the 30s, it was actually closer to what I could feel at puberty. You know, the brain fog, the the excitement, the the fatigue at the same time, and and also, um, you know, the feeling lost. This was very interesting, but I was at that time just focusing on, 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 on finding, you know, my next um, adventure for work. And it kind of crystallized together. Um, during that period of reconversion, I also, so I was a, a biomedical research scientist for 20 years. And uh, so that is part of me. 
during the work that I've done uh, afterwards, I really, you know, became a woman in business and I started uh, putting things together and I became um, more of a women's advocate, you know, in times of physical change, I also care for uh, women at the end of life. Mm -hmm. And because I'm an end of life doula uh, and trained and, and certified in addition to being a scientist, it made the most sense uh, for me to, to, to incorporate the, the menopause transition um, part of life that is so important is going to determine uh, how we age, how we go from being active, productive, um, even having children, having children to, to really thrive and, and make a difference in this society. Um, and so, Natalie, when women who are experiencing menopause reach out to you as a menopause doula, what do you do for them? Well, it really depends what they want. And that's what we try to figure out. What is it that they want? And every woman is going to be unique. Um, they usually come to me because of, of various reasons. They usually um, have very weird physical and emotional symptoms, um, the fatigue, the insomnia, um, the, the, the strained relationships. They can sometimes have fear of death. Um, and they really lose their confidence and they really don't know where to start. They don't understand that this is all kind of connected. Um, and they also share, so what I do really for them is first I listen to them. I listen to their entire story. So I validate, uh, I validate them. And because in general, there is no safe space to discuss um, uh, this with, with, without taboo, without being made fun of. Um, and um, so I listen to them. And as a scientist, I also help them understand how their body works and what could be happening at the molecular and cellular biochemical level. And then in the third phase, I, I really help them gain confidence so they can advocate for themselves and with the um, with the healthcare system, so it's really a, a catalytic uh, process, and everybody wins. I mentioned that you're a founder of Cafe Menopause here in Connecticut, modeled after uh, similar uh, menopause cafes in the UK. And we and we uh, understand also the UK has workplace policies around menopause. So tell me about your efforts to get organizations in the New Haven area to think about policy and spaces for menopausal employees, Natalie? So Lucy, this is, this is a newer part of my work. I think it was very difficult during the pandemic to offer you know, menopause in the workplace uh, workshops to companies, including you know, hospitals, uh, healthcare um, um, organizations, uh, nursing homes, assisted living. You know, it's very hard and, and I'm very close to New York City with, so we can also reach um, bigger um, companies. Um, so it was very challenging. So I'm really starting now to dust it off and to offer it to other people. And it's very slow. It's very slow because people don't realize what menopause is. So the more we talk about it, um, the more we talk about um, the challenges for women over 40, um, sometimes younger, but I would say the majority of the female workplace from 40 
and it could last until the 60s, 70s, especially if some things have not been addressed at midlife. Mm. You mentioned that age range uh, from the 40s until maybe even the 60s and 70s. Uh, I had mentioned the three stages of menopause. Can you briefly go over those with us, Natalie? Sure. Um, So there would be, when people talk about menopause, they think it's going to be the one day uh, they haven't had their periods for one year and um, one year and one day. Um, And that's it, that um, they really uh, are not able to have babies anymore. But actually, it's really not just um, the end of our productive years. Uh, so the years that uh, lead to that menopause day uh, are called um, perimenopause. They can last, you know, a year, two years, um, 10 years. Um, um, I think uh, they vary. Some women will go through menopause without noticing it but um, others would have the most horrific horrific experiences based on their genetics, their epigenetics, uh, based on um, where they live, um, the past experiences. So it really varies. Um, But I see that play during that perimenopause time. The menopause is really the one day we have not had uh, our periods um, for over a year and one day. And um, after that, it's the postmenopause. So where does it end? Um, people can tell me. Um, it depends. Um, people will go back to normal. But what I'm noticing is that there is really no normal if there has not been accompaniment and, and, and sometimes treatment at um, uh, menopause to palliate to the sudden decrease of estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. Coming up, we're going to talk more about uh, symptoms that women experience and also potential treatments with a certified OBGYN uh, through the North American Menopause Society. With me right now is Natalie Bonifay, a menopause doula and founder of Cafe Menopause. I wanted to quote from a, a 2018 article that was in the AARP, the magazine, uh, Philip Serrell, who's Professor Emeritus of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Reproductive Services uh, at the Yale School of Medicine. The quote was from uh, Philip, doctors are not helpful. They haven't had training. They're not up to date. So Natalie, what kind of training do OBGYNs need to be better qualified to care for women in these three stages you just outlined? So what do they need? They really need to learn to listen to women. Um, So that is actually a training uh, on its own. They also need to really look at women um, as a whole. And, um, you know, their past, their present, um, their fears, um, and not just their genetic background, because this gets into play. Um, They also need to know the new policies. They need to know, they need to update their knowledge on what the, the, the science uh, has, has told us about um, the, the, the Women's Health Initiative um, um, studies that were done and released, you know, 20 years ago that we, uh, they 
a lot of uh, providers still refer to, 20 years of research is a long time. We have learned a lot about bioidentical hormones. We have learned a lot about what could potentially interfere with, you know, uh, some, some diseases. But we also know more about the benefits of, of, uh, of, of treatments to, to help women go over that hump emotionally and physically and keep them healthy longer. Um, we, need, um, we need that form of education. And I think it would be easier for the providers if there were more research studies, you know, for women, women of all, all backgrounds, um, because the problem is we don't have enough data and the physicians will function based on clinical trial results and data. So we need this and we need them to report what they also um, hear, see um, uh, in, the, uh, in the office one way or the other. And we'll be talking about some of that new data out about menopause. Again, my guest, Natalia Bonifay, a menopause doula, founder of Cafe Menopause here in Connecticut and a member of the North American Menopause Society. We'll be hearing from a certified OBGYN right after the break. And we'll take your questions, too, all about menopause. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Now, as we head into the break, here's audio from Menopause the Musical. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. About a year ago, I talked to Dr. Jen Gunter, who wrote the Menopause Manifesto. And her example of how women would rate menopause on Yelp has stuck with me to this day. Quote, this establishment has temperature control issues, drenching heat, followed by terrible chills, defies the laws of thermodynamics, would not recommend. And we know there are plenty of movies and TV shows that reference this time in a woman's midlife. This is what Jack Nicholson tells a menopausal Diane Keaton in the movie Something's Gotta Give. Ever been married, Harry? No. 
No, I haven't. Harry was once engaged to Diane Sawyer. I love her. I'm impressed. Yeah. Women your age love that about me. Now, putting comedy aside, there's new scientific research on menopause, its effects on women, and treatment options. Joining us now on the phone is Dr. Melissa Pearlstone, an accredited OBGYN with Women's Health CT. She's a certified practitioner with the North American Menopause Society. Dr. Pearlstone, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. I didn't realize there was a North American Menopause Society. So tell us what this means for patients when they're seeking out care. Yeah, I think that's something important for patients to know about. Um, Those of us who are members of the society, and um, I'd say in particular those of us who are certified, are physicians and uh, nurse practitioners who have taken a particular interest in menopause and the treatment of menopause. Um, And when you're a patient, ideally seeing a provider who takes special interest in your issue, uh, hopefully has set aside the time to talk to you about um, your experience and who's knowledgeable about treatment options is obviously essential. We heard uh, Natalie Bonifay share earlier, you know, we know we learn so much uh, in our lives about puberty and fertility. And then there's menopause. And women often don't know a lot about this time in our lives that can start, as she mentioned, in our 40s and can go all the way to our mid 60s or so. And so I'm wondering if you can add to that these three stages. And when you're talking with women, what do they know about menopause and where do you fit in helping them help them with the, the symptoms and the potential treatments available? Um, so I think that accessing information about uh, menopause is a really important issue to discuss. Uh, I would say oftentimes when I see patients, their source of information is either going to be friends and family, which of course is natural, but I don't know that that's necessarily the best source of information. And then of course we all have access to the internet nowadays, which can be, I often say, a blessing and a curse. So uh, there's a lot of, unfortunately, I feel like there's a lot of misinformation available to women about menopause and um, and in particular uh, treatments that are available and which treatments are um, safe and defective. Mm. Uh, I'd mentioned some new studies that have come out. Uh, there's one in February of this year published in the journal Menopause linking menopausal joint pain to sleep apnea. There was another study in 2020 in the journal Neurology that found women in midlife had 30% more Alzheimer's-related plaques than men of the same age. They also had lower brain glucose metabolism, meaning lower energy levels in the brain, more brain shrinkage, and these biomarkers were associated with menopause. And so bringing all of that up, when we think about how OBGYNs should be talking about risks and, you know, should treatment to women be offered much earlier, Dr. Pearlstone? Right. Well, so I think what needs to be teased out with that kind of question is what are the risks that are associated with menopause per se, and what are the risks that are just related to general aging? So that um, general concepts in terms of keeping ourselves healthy as we get older, 
exercising, not drinking too much alcohol, not smoking, maintaining a normal blood pressure, normal blood sugar levels, um, normal cholesterol levels. All of these things have shown to improve uh, health and longevity. As concerns menopause per se, um, the, the, the data is unclear, quite frankly, as to whether treatment and now I'm talking about uh, medication, Mm -hmm. uh, to treat menopause um, results in longer health and uh, and, and life, uh, lifespan. Um, That's less clear. And um, in general, treatment of menopausal symptoms is geared towards relief of symptoms as opposed to... uh, a prescription of medications in the name of um, promoting uh, health and longevity. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we hear about hormone replacement therapy or HRT, can you talk about that with us, Dr. Pearlstone? Yeah, I think the main, if I had one message I really wanted to share with the listeners about hormone replacement therapy is that most women are under the misconception that the use of hormone replacement therapy carries significant risk. Um, Many women are under the impression that this is a pretty dangerous intervention that should be generally avoided at all costs. Um, And that's just a a misperception of what the risks are. Um, For an average risk patient, um, meaning somebody who's generally healthy and not smoking and without a significant past medical history, and a woman who is early in the menopause transition, as in less than 10 years from her last menstrual period. In general, the benefits of using hormone replacement therapy outweigh its risks. Um, and unfortunately, because many women are under this false impression, a huge industry has built up um, catering to women who are too scared to use uh, hormone replacement therapy and so therefore are looking for alternatives that are marketed as safer when in fact they uh, may not in fact be any safer. And I think that really is a shame. Oh, before we... Um... I'll take a question from a listener, Dr. Pearlstone. When we talk about hormone replacement therapy, you mentioned there's a lot of misperceptions out there. And so uh, talk through with us what exactly happens during menopause that would um, lead women to need this particular type of, of treatment. I'm thinking about, you know, how much does estrogen drop and the impacts on a woman's mm-hmm. body? Right. So the primary indication for the um, use of hormone replacement therapy is for the treatment of hot flashes and night sweats. So approximately 80% of women will notice a hot flash or a night sweat as she transitions through to menopause, but it's actually only a minority, about 20 to 25%, who find that their symptoms are intolerable enough that they seek out treatment. Uh, you were talking earlier about um, the fear and misperceptions of hormone replacement therapy lead women to often try these over-the-counter or non-FDA regulated treatments. Um, we got a question from Twitter, a, a woman who suffers from hot flashes terribly, she writes, tried natural root, but it is not working. And then uh, I think she writes here, black cohosh 
progesterone cream, et cetera, help? What can you what can you tell us about uh, what she shared and from in your um, view as a certified practitioner in this? Yeah, so I'd say a couple of comments are I think are really uh, great. Some of what this woman has written are great examples of what I come across on a daily basis. So first, this concept of natural. This is something that. Um, the lay public is drawn to this idea that something is natural and so therefore it's safe and something that's synthetic must therefore be unsafe. I mean, this is just not a scientific concept. Uh, There are naturally occurring poisons and so something that's natural is just not a a scientific term. Um, uh, In terms of alternative therapies like uh, black cohosh, for example, or topical progesterone, um, when um, when studies are conducted looking at uh, various interventions, products, over-the-counter treatments, etc., in the uh, treatment and for relief of menopausal symptoms, a well-done study is always going to have a placebo group to be able to compare their results to. And as it turns out, in most of these kind of studies, what is pretty much standard is the placebo group, 40% of the placebo group will notice an improvement. So that if you're going to actually prove that your product is uh, effective, you have to surpass a 40% improvement. That having been said, there is some data to support the efficacy of black cohosh for some women, and certainly if I see a patient who is taking black cohosh and finds that her symptoms are relieved, well then, in general, she would be encouraged to continue using it. You're hearing Dr. Melissa Pearlstone here on Where We Live. She's an OBGYN with Women's Health CT and a certified practitioner with the North American Menopause Society. As we talk about menopause, if you have a question or want to share your experience, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So we talked about hormone replacement therapy. What about uh, something selective estrogen receptor modulators, also known as CIRMs? Are they a better option, Dr. Pearlstone? know that I would say they're a better option. I mean, certainly in terms of relief of symptoms, nothing works like estrogen. In fact, I tell my patients, if I, we can't eventually find the right dose or form of estrogen to give you uh, satisfactory relief of your symptoms, then I need to start looking for a new diagnosis because it just doesn't make sense. Estrogen always works. I don't know that I could say the same for uh, the SSRIs, and these are medications that many of your listeners have heard of, like uh, Paxil, Prozac, Lexapro. So these drugs are also used to treat menopausal symptoms, and they have been shown to be superior to placebo. However, their efficacy is just not as significant as estrogen is. But these are options for women who either have medical contraindications to the use of estrogen. The most common and largest group would be women who have been diagnosed with uh, hormone-sensitive breast cancer. But there are other women, for example, women who have experienced blood clots uh, in the past, like blood clots in their veins or pulmonary embolism. These represent also relative contraindications to the use of estrogen. So many of these women are symptomatic and are looking for relief of their symptoms. And use of a medication like uh, Paxil or Lexapro um, can be effective. Mm. Uh- 
Natalie Bonifay is still with us. Again, she's a menopause doula and also a member of the North American Menopause Society. Uh, Natalie, I wanted to get your take on what Dr. Pearlstone has shared so far. And again, a lot of people have questions about a hormone replacement therapy. You know, how do you talk about that with women that you're helping? Well, you see, uh, I totally agree uh, with totally Pearlstone. Um, Pillstone, uh, I think, you know, she explained very well um, uh, the, the, the type of um, solutions that they are for women, um, uh, medical solutions. Um, so how do I how do I help women, you know, go to their provider and and uh, and discuss this is I really uh, I really inform them on what happens at the molecular level, what happens when we stop losing, you know, um, uh, estrogen and uh, nothing works better than estrogen. Estrogen protects us um, and keeps us strong and alert. And um, and um, what else? What else do I tell them? Oh, I think I lost my. <laughs> my uh, I, I essentially give them what uh, uh, most physicians uh, providers don't have time to give them. The really the the, the underlying uh, uh, story of what happens in their bodies, and then they can because of that, then they can think better uh, uh, about describing their symptoms that could be more subtle than the hot flashes that everybody uh, talks about and sometimes make fun of. You know, it could be hair loss, could be. Uh, could be um, uh, uh, pain during intercourse, um, could be really anxiety, and this is really related. So if they understand that they need to be seen as a whole, they go to their providers equipped, prepared, emotionally prepared, and they get the help that they need. Mm. Does it make sense? Yes. Uh, again, you're hearing Natalie Bonifay, a menopause doula, founder of Cafe Menopause. Natalie, it's been a pleasure to hear from you today to talk about how you're helping women through this uh, transition period. Again, uh, we appreciate your time and we'll have links on our website uh, to learn more about Natalie's work, uh, ctpublic.org slash where we live. Natalie, thank you for your time today. Thank you. Also with us on the phone was Dr. Melissa Pearlstone, an OBGYN with Women's Health Connecticut, Women's Health CT, and she's a certified practitioner with the North American Menopause Society. Dr. Pearlstone, thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. Coming up after the break, there's a $600 billion opportunity globally for the development of therapeutic products for menopausal women. After the break, we talk to a woman entrepreneur about that and her personal experience. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Now, the median age for menopause in the U.S. is 51 years old for white women, but black women and Latinas reach menopause two years earlier. That's according to the study of women's health across the nation, or SWAN study. Research also shows Latinas and black women experience hot flashes and night sweats much longer than white women. And a new study published this month in the journal Menopause found that Hormone therapy was less common among black women compared with white women. Also, Hispanic Latinx women had lower odds of prescribed menopause therapy. So how's the market addressing their needs? The Female Founders Fund reported that tech to manage menopausal symptoms is a $600 billion opportunity. To talk about that, joining us now on Zoom is Debbie Dickinson, co-founder and CEO of Thermaband, Inc. Thermaband was incubated at Yale and is currently in the Harvard iLab and Harvard Alumni Accelerated Program. Debbie, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me, Lucy. I'm so happy to be here. You've got a really interesting story. Uh, First off, uh, when we talk about menopause technology, uh, I understand you got involved in this to partly address discrimination. Can you explain that? Absolutely. Um, You know, I'm I'm a a lawyer by trade, practiced law for a number of years, um, had a number of entrepreneurial endeavors, and um, was actually in the process of, um, uh, you know, figuring out that at 51, okay, now what do I want to do with my life? Get back into the practice of law um, after taking a hiatus to, to raise my kids and the stories. And then I had a hot flash and I realized very quickly that A, I was not prepared as so many women um, find themselves. And uh, the solutions were, were very few uh, in, in terms after purchasing everything I, I could find on the market. And, um, and we, you know, we needed to really have that conversation just as we were prepared for my, um, puberty, we need to be prepared for menopause. So, um, and recognizing that, um, you know, there were so few solutions and, and really wanting to, to have something, especially when I recognized that women of color were so disproportionately um, impacted uh, relative to, you know, it occurs earlier or discomfort occurs earlier and last longer. And, um, you know, we need to, to really normalize uh, that conversation and, um, and, ha- and expand the solutions that are available. You mentioned that discomfort begins earlier and lasts longer. I, I referenced that SWAN study, a study of women's health across the nation. So white women experience hot flashes, according to the study, for around six and a half years. Latinas for nearly nine years. For black women, 10 years. And as I mentioned earlier, black women are reaching menopause at 49, two years earlier than the national median age of 51. Uh, Female Founders Fund also saying that this is an area, menopause, with little that has seen little innovation, despite these considerable and, and long-lasting impacts that I mentioned, uh, Debbie. So talk more about the market and how you uh, and your daughter are innovating here. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, just just in, in recognizing uh, that, that there were not many uh, tech solutions, and my story basically is, you know, experiencing a, a hot flash. I mentioned purchasing everything on the market found that I had a number of um, things that would work, frozen things, put this on, you know, on, on your forehead, put this on your neck, put this on your wrist. But there was nothing that I felt comfortable using when I, I left home. So if I, you know, was out in, in public and socializing and, um, you know, in, in a business environment, there really was not that tech solution that um, not only provided um, a comfort 
uh, in, in when confronted with thermal discomfort, right? So a hot flash or a cold flash, um, but also just, just insights and, and, and understanding what's happening with, with the body. So, um, you know, once we recognized that um, the, the tech solution didn't exist, started a, a community um, on Facebook, a multi-generational community to, to talk to um, or, or have women of, of different ages, because we also, um, you know, to say that menopause for women of color is, is you know, say mid 40s, um, that means perimenopause, which is, you know, the time frame where often when a lot of the discomfort starts, starts before, um, you know, those that mid mid 40, like say 45 or so. So many women are experiencing discomfort um, and there are 34 symptoms of, of menopause, you know, anxiety and, you know, both emotional as, as well as, as physical. Um, but night sweats and hot flashes are, and, and actually sleep disturbance um, are most prevalent. So to, to really have a, you know, to have a, a solution, a subtle, discrete solution that can provide comfort and allow us to, um, you know, navigate spaces very, very comfortably and, and be in control of that was, was something that we recognized was, was not available. And then through these, um, this community of, of women recognized that not only was there a need for, for comfort, but also um, information insights relative to what's happening, what's happening with, with their bodies. You mentioned this online community. I understand there's nearly 1,500 women involved in this community, uh, Debbie. And I, something you'd said about actually me, about 3,000 now. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> yes, <laughs> even better. So when we think about what you said about you know needing solutions that are discreet and subtle, you can't bring that frozen bag of peas into the boardroom, right? When you're yeah. in a hot flash. Yeah. And so describe exactly this particular right. product that you have, you and your your daughter Thermaband, how it works. And, and how it helps women. How it helps women. Yeah. What we recognized in, in um, you know, women are ingenious. So, so we have, what, what we noticed is historically folks, you know, you mentioned the frozen bag of peas. We know if you put, you know, you, you keep certain bags of peas, you know, historically people would have certain things in their freezer, right? I had, you know, frozen um, cloths and, you know, just a, a number of things that I could whip out at home. But it's not as easy to do that or as comforting to do that in, in public. So um, it was really traveling and having a hot flash in a car when I said, gee, if I were home, I would be able to go to my freezer or go to, you know, the, I was tethered to the freezer, tethered to the faucet, right? I could put my hands on the cold running water. I could, you know, put something, you know, something that I had frozen in, in, in the freezer. Um, but what if I had a wearable? What if I had something that was so discreet that um, that activated automatically, that gave me that same cool sensation that that you know we we realized had worked. Women were putting their hands on on, on you know the, the granite countertop. We have um, we, you know women cooling sprays can can work. You know fans. You know different people are doing frozen pearls. There are women who freeze their pearls and put it on their bracelet or on their arm as a bracelet or on their neck as you know as, as a necklace. So we're doing very ingenious things. But where is the technological solution um, that? provides that comfort with just introducing the, the cool or the warmth. And, um, and it was through this community where not only did these women want to have a tech solution, um, but also wanted to understand what was what was happening with their bodies. So, so in addition to the the, the wearable itself, and it's it's a, it's a wrist wearable called the, the, the zone that um, also has a, a, an app that provides insight into what's happening with with these events, you know, in terms of the heating and, and cooling, 
the activation, the, um, uh, you know, the, the occurrences, you know, how many hot flashes have I had and how long were they and the intensity, the duration, but it's, it's really equipping women with um, information so they can advocate. Because as you mentioned before, many women, three quarters of the women are, are turned away when they head to their physicians to, to find solutions. A, a lot of um, physicians are, are not certified by, by NAMS and I'm not trained in menopause. That, that is increasing, thankfully, because of that wonderful organization. But um, and because it's a natural season, women want it as something of life, right? Menopause is a natural season of life. Now, we do know in addition to natural menopause, which occurs at different ages for, for, for folks, is the surgical and the medical. So, you know, women who have had hysterectomies and both their ovaries are, are um, removed often have um, hot flashes associated with that. We have um, also chemotherapy patients and, and um, you know, folks who have had cancer survivors, so also experiencing hot flashes. And, and the, you know, the number of reasons um, expand. So it's a, a lot of folks are experiencing thermal mm -hmm. discomfort and looking for a solution, even if they're doing HRT, it can supplement that, or perhaps they did that for a period of time. And now they're, you know, aren't, it's not wise for them to continue with that. Um, and, and now they're looking for another solution because often the hot flashes returns. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking about it with us. Debbie Dickinson, again, co-founder and CEO of Thermaband, Inc. And this, again, is a, you're you're working on this with your daughter. Did you want to mention her name uh, for us? Uh, Absolutely. My co-founder is Marquia Dickinson. And uh, Marquia actually um, is it has um, competencies and, and um, worked with supply chain and manufacturing um, at Unilever and then was actually a Yale student, MBA student, um, interested in entrepreneurial endeavors when she got a phone call from her mother saying, listen, we need to do something here. I can't take this. <laughs> I love the story. Thank you so much, Debbie, for again, coming on the show. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. It's just a pleasure to be here. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Sujatha Srinivasan. Tess Terrible was on the phones today. Our technical director is Kat Pastor. We'll be back tomorrow with another interesting show. We hope you join us.